Merry Christmas. I love the story of the presentation in the temple where Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple in fulfillment of a Jewish law and Simeon and Anna were there and they recognized who Jesus was. Now Simeon was an old man and God had revealed to his heart that before he died, he would see the long-awaited Messiah that he and all of Israel were waiting for. And Anna was a really holy old woman whose scripture says was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. In other words, Anna was that old lady who prayed a lot. And I love thinking of that moment where, where they're in the temple amidst a crowd of people and Simeon must have heard Jesus cry and he just knew that baby's voice. That's the one. And he went up to Mary and Joseph, and, and I, I could just envision Mary handing baby Jesus to Simeon, who prayed this beautiful prayer, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. My own eyes have seen the salvation which you have prepared in the sight of every people, a light to reveal you to the nations and the glory of your people Israel. I know that prayer by heart because it's part of night prayer that the church prays every night, and I pray it with my kids every night before bed. Uh, but here's what strikes me about this mystery of the presentation in the temple. What was it about Simeon and Anna that enabled them to see Jesus? And I think of myself, dude, if I was there, or if I was there at Bethlehem, if I was there at the manger, would I have noticed anything more than a lower income family with a little baby just starting their life together? And the honest answer is that I probably wouldn't have. I probably would have walked straight by him. See, guys, we don't tend to notice the mystery of life hidden all around us because we tend to not notice any mystery in life at all. And I think Christmas is a wake-up call. It's a wake-up call. It's an invitation to be amazed at life again, to recognize and be amazed at faith, to be amazed at the world all around us, to be amazed at the people all around us. And this is really hard today. You see, I think there's been a, a death of amazement G.K. Chesterton, he said, the world is dry, not for lack of wonders, but for lack of wonder. Hmm. And the comedian Louis C.K., he said, everything is amazing today and no one is happy. And why? Because we don't tend to notice all the amazing things. In fact, we get used to them, we get bored of them. I mean, think about this, we do this with literally everything. I, I remember when I first got a cell phone and I was completely amazed that my voice would go from this device into space and back down to someone else's phone. And within like a month of having a cell phone, I was annoyed if it took too long to make that call. I remember staring at my microwave, probably standing too close to it as a kid, and just thinking, what is a microwave? I hit a button and my popcorn pops? Just last month before the microwave came, I had to stand over my stove like an idiot and just wait and watch. <laughs> a couple days ago, I flew home to Denver from a talk and I was thinking this chair is too hard or this journey is taking too long as I sat down drinking orange juice above clouds. By the way, the journey I took would have 150 years ago taken a month and people would have died on the way. Louis C.K. Everything's amazing and no one's happy. And why is nobody happy? Because we forgot to be amazed. The world is dry, not for lack of wonders, but for lack of wonder. We don't notice the things that Simeon and Anna noticed. And we do this with each other. This is a great tragedy. Married couples, you could be together for so long, feel so close to one another, 
that you actually, in your embrace of marriage, look past the other. And people can be married for years and, and, and still feel lonely. We do this with our, with our kids, with our siblings. No prophet is honored in his hometown or his native place. We fail to honor and reverence the people under our roofs. In fact, we approach the person behind the counter that we don't know with greater reverence with our expression, with our tone of voice, with not presuming we know everything about the person than we do with the people we should reverence the most, which is the people in our own family, the people who, who we owe the most to in life. And guys, we do this with God. Christmas. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, guys, this isn't just fairy tale. This is real. One of my favorite places to go when I lead pilgrimages to the Holy Land in Nazareth, where Our Lady received the Annunciation from the angel Gabriel. There's an altar there that says, The Word was made flesh here. <sighs> completely mind-blowing. The mysteries of our faith are completely amazing. That God of the universe, that the universe can't contain God, is in the arms of, of this virgin mother. Phenomenal cosmic power. Itty-bitty living space. <laughs> these, these things should totally amaze us, and we forget to be amazed. Yeah, Merry Christmas. Uh, Plastic the turkey. Merry Christmas. Let's put the football game on. And look, I'm not demonizing people who like turkey and like football, but let's pause for a moment to become amazed again. But I think, guys, I, one of the reasons we fail to be amazed is because it takes emotional energy and effort to show people, the world around us, God, the proper amazement, the proper reverence. And G.K. Chesterton marveled about a child's energy as being the source of their perpetual amazement. And I love this. He wrote this about kids. They always say, do it again. And the grown-up person does it again until he's nearly dead. For grown-up people are not strong enough to exalt in monotony. But perhaps God is strong enough to exalt in monotony. It is possible that God says every morning, do it again to the sun. And every evening, do it again to the moon. It may not be automatic necessity that makes all daisies alike. It may be that God makes every daisy separately, but has never got tired of making them. It may be that he has the eternal appetite of infancy. For we have sinned and grown old, and our Father is younger than we. The repetition of nature may not be mere recurrence. It may be a theatrical encore. <laughs> oh man, that is awesome. Guys, I think half the joy of Christmas is watching children as they live in awe, as they approach the Christmas tree with this idea in their imagination that a very fat man came down their chimney and left a bunch of presents while they slept. That, that taps into some of the amazement that we should all feel as we approach every mystery of our faith and every mystery of life all around us, even the things that we've presumed that we have figured out. And I, I wonder, man, if Jesus said that you have to have the heart of a child to enter the kingdom, to enter heaven, I wonder if he said that because if we don't have the heart of a child, we might find ourselves having entered heaven and not noticing where we are. So how do we recover this sense of amazement at God, at the people around us, at the world that we find ourselves living in? N not just for Christmas Day, but to take that sense of amazement that Christmas reminds us we should have into the everyday of our everyday lives. Number one, 
guys, if you want to recover your sense of amazement, stop filling your head with shallow things all the time. Listen, it, it's human nature to do things that burn less calories. We evolved to do that. You want to burn less calories? Conserve them so that you stay alive for longer. We learned this from the caveman. This is built into our DNA. So the human mind desires distraction and desires to just get away and rest for a minute. And usually what we do is reach for the lowest hanging fruit, the thing that'll burn the least calories to do, and we consume whatever is on our smartphone. And we just start scrolling and scrolling away. And I'll tell you what happens. The more that we do that, the more it numbs our mind, our intellect, our spirit, to higher things. St. Paul wrote from prison into the Colossians, set your mind on things above, not on things of earth. Incessant scrollers do not train their minds to be set on things above. But guys, it's not just things above. It's that deeper thinking and openness to reality, uh, even, even of the things around us when we have minds set on higher things. Because even the smallest things around us should amaze us and we've lost our amazement. I was reading a book about trees recently and the mystery and the, the hidden life of trees. And this kind of blew my mind, man. There's this, there's this type of tree in Africa that when a giraffe starts to eat it, it takes about an hour, which incidentally is about as much time as it takes for the giraffe to get his fill and stay alive. See, everything's perfectly and beautifully balanced to release a toxin into its leaves that make the leaves taste bad to the giraffe so that they move on to the next tree. But what they'll find if they move on to the next tree is that that tastes the same. Because the second the giraffe starts to eat that tree, it releases a scent that informs all the other trees, the giraffes are here, release your toxin. In some amazing sense, trees are talking to each other. Now, we don't want to anthropomorphize trees. However, guys, I, I think if there's an error that the materialist scientist falls into, it's a failure in our, in our frankly, shallow materialist minds that are too distracted by passing things to see the mystery of everything. We reduce things to a purely biological process and, and leave it there. And we forget the mystery. I think maybe the ancient indigenous peoples of the world had it more right than we do today. That they saw there's some spirit in everything, there's a connectedness in everything, that there's mystery in everything. If you bring the proper sense of wonder, maybe, just maybe, you'll see it. Hmm. Open your eyes. Open your eyes and become a contemplative as you experience the world around you. So that's one. Stop filling your mind with so many shallow things that you forget to see and wonder at life again. And then number two, practice reverence. Guys, don't just feel reverence. Practice it. What does that mean? The philosopher Dietrich von Hildebrand defined reverence as stepping back from someone or something and giving it the space required to unfold in front of you and say, Whoa. I added that last part about the whoa, but it applies. You know, the temple that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph went into in Jerusalem, the same stairs that they walked up are still there. It's kind of amazing. I love going and praying on those stairs. And if you go to those stairs, you'll notice that they're all uneven. And you might think that it was an architectural mistake or some plates shifted in the earth and caused an earthquake and made them all uneven. No, no, no. They were actually built that way intentionally. See, because if you just ran up the steps without thinking, about where you were going and what you were approaching, you'd fall flat in your face. It was designed so that you had to stop, think. And there were particular psalms that you pray on the steps up into the temple so that you know the sacredness of the place that you're approaching. Step back 
when you approach God, when you approach church, when you see that manger scene, when you approach your spouse, the person living next to you, your neighbor, the poor person you're walking by in the street that Simeon and Anna didn't just walk by. They noticed. All these things are sacred. The sacredness of the world around you. Stop. Take a deep breath and think about what you are approaching. Let this thing unfold in front of you. Guys, do this with people. I'm friends with a Swiss guard who worked for John Paul II. And he said one of the most awkward things John Paul II would do, and a Swiss guard isn't the most lofty title or job. Really cool, they get amazing outfits to wear, but they're not cardinals of the church, they're not great big politicians, but he would get to know them. He would know their names, he would know their faces. But he said he would walk up to them, and he'd hear his old feet coming up to him, and they'd be standing there at attention. He said he would notice the feet would just stop. And he'd turn and he'd look at them, and before he shook his hand or said anything to him, John Paul II would spend about 20 seconds, dead silent, just looking at him. To behold the other and take him in. And then he would extend his hand and say something. Now, obviously you can't do this in everyday life. It'd be really awkward and really hard to get through your day. <laughs> but there's something we need to learn about that and take to our encounter with every single person. Have reverence for people. Let them unfold in front of you. Stop presuming you know everything about the other. It's amazing how we've reduced, I mean, we're so used to just consuming and making snap judgments so fast on social media that it's like, hey, I got this guy figured out. And then, then we, we, we give into calumny and saying horrible things about people, thinking, I got, him, I got him, he's in this camp, I'm in that camp. No, 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 stop. Give a person space. And then number two, you guys got to do this with God. I recently heard this story, uh, John Mark Comer was talking about in his podcast, and then I looked it up, and it's, it's, it's an amazing story. The Mother Teresa of Calcutta, was being interviewed by Dan Rather, who's a very gifted interviewer, and he probably was really excited to ask this question. And Dan Rather said, when Mother Teresa prays, what does she say? And she said, I don't say anything, I listen. And he was completely thrown, and you can see it in the interview. And he, again, usually a really gifted interviewer would know exactly how to pivot, what to say. And he said, okay, um, well, what does God say when you listen? And then she paused for a second and she said, he doesn't say anything, he listens. And then you could see he was thinking the interview is completely blown, I have no idea where to go from here. And then she said, and if you don't understand that, I don't know how to explain it to you. <laughs> to approach God that way, that here's the presence of the other before me and before crowding him with my words, as we do with each other, as we do with life, before crowding him as we do everything with our thoughts, with our judgments, with our preconceived notions, let's stop. Let's fall on our knees and hear the angel voices. And let God unfold before us. Because guys, that's literally what he does with you. Has it ever struck you that Almighty God doesn't just love you, he respects you. He respects your thoughts. He respects your emotion, and he wants to hear from you what you're going through. He respects your boundaries. He respects your body. He respects and honors everything about you. That's why he tells us in his word that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. This isn't just a thought that you should think about yourself. This is what God thinks about you. And in fact, every single thing that the, the church has made sacred and hallowed, the holy water font, the rosary you have in your, that was blessed, the church you like to pray in, 
The sacraments, God gave us all these sacred things that reach into space and time, just like he reached into space and time. We celebrate that mystery every Christmas so that he can make you holy. He doesn't just want you to see a sacred temple when you look at yourself. That's what he sees in you. Lord, help us to imitate you in, in the way that we express reverence to everyone, to everything around us. In the Holy Land, there's a, the, the, the church in Bethlehem, the big basilica. It's, it's the hugest basilica, man. It's massive, and it has the smallest door. You actually literally have to bend down to get in. And, and that door was originally made to stop raiders from just coming through with their horses, but they left it there as a sign and a symbol that this is how God has come to us. This is how Almighty God approaches us. He comes down, he humbles himself to share in our humanity. And, and if you want to come and approach him, you have to approach him as he has approached you. You want to recapture the joy of this season? Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices. See the gift of the other before you. Honor the prophets in your hometown, in your native place. Notice the world around you. Marvel at the trees and the forest again. Open your heart to the poor that we often pass by and don't even notice. And all, above all, fall on your knees before Almighty God. Oh, come, let us adore him. Guys, don't let shallow things consume your heart. Learn reverence again. Simeon and Anna, pray for us that you who let your minds be blown by the mystery of life, the mystery of Christmas, the mystery of the people around you, that we'd imitate you in our faith, in our reverence, so that we can experience the joy that you experienced when you prayed, Lord, now you let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled. <laughs> Merry Christmas, guys. Before we go, Sarah Krogh is gonna lead us in a song of praise and worship, and I just want you to picture yourself there in Bethlehem, approaching that, that manger scene and just fall on your knees and hear the angel voices and Sarah sings kind of like an angel and will sing, come let us adore him in silent night and just, just put yourself in that prayerful presence of God because really reverence toward all of reality starts with practicing that first and foremost in prayer with Almighty God. Uh, before I let you go, uh, Sarah Kroger is gonna be with me on a cruise following the footsteps of St. Paul and his missionary journey and also stopping off at Mykonos in Greece. So come with me. All that information is on reallifecatholic.com on our pilgrimages tab where you'll also see that uh, 2025, June, God willing, I'll be in the Holy Land again. And in uh, this coming June, 2024, we'll be in Italy. But listen, if you want a chance to win a trip for you and a friend to join me on that pilgrimage to Italy, become a missionary of joy. Go to reallifecatholic.com forward slash MOJ. It's also in our show notes. Guys, our missionaries of joy have the joy of knowing that they're part of this work. It's incredible to me the amount of people we've been able to reach in the past year with the joy and message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is 100% thanks to you, our missionaries of joy. But you also have the joy of knowing that you're entered for a chance to win if you enter and become a missionary of joy before January ends. All right? God bless you guys. With that, let's sing with Sarah Kroger and Merry Christmas. I love y'all. Hey everyone, it's Sarah Kroger wishing you and your family a very Merry Christmas. Sing this with us, pray this with us. I hope this is a blessed Christmas season for you.